Isaiah chapter 7, look this way if you will. If you think back to recent Sunday mornings, then you may recall that we've been in a series of messages that I have entitled, Bless Your Heart. Now, of course, down south, we're always blessing somebody's heart, aren't we? I tried to keep a count this week, and I got up to four of how many people bless my heart this week. I just started last Monday. I thought I'd be interested to know how many people say to me this week, bless your heart. And that's a southern saying, isn't it? We say that a lot, bless your heart. Somebody said down south, if you can learn to say two things, you can get by with anything. Number one, bless your heart. And number two, I heard that. And if you can say those two things, you can get by without anything down south. But I've been majoring on that phrase over these last several Sunday mornings, bless your heart. And we've been looking throughout the Word of God at the various conditions that are mentioned throughout the Bible that we oftentimes find our heart in. And as I've done every one of these services so far on these Sunday mornings about the heart, I've always began by mentioning some interesting facts about the human heart. Well, here are five more amazing facts about your heart. Your heart works extremely hard to pump blood through, as I've told you, 60,000 miles of veins in the average human body. In fact, to demonstrate how hard one pump of your heart is, if you were to take a tennis ball and squeeze it as hard as you can, you'll get an idea of how, uh, how uh, hard one beat, one pump of your heart really is. That is an amazing fact. Fact number two is this. In ancient times, they actually believed that the heart had a mind of its own, and it traveled to different parts of the human body of its own free will. So one day, your heart might be in your foot, the next day it might be in your head. That's what they thought in ancient times. Fact number three, among the many things that we can do to help our heart, listen to this one now, stay healthy, such as quit smoking, exercise, and eat better. Another thing you can do to keep your heart healthy is go to the dentist. Now, I just did that this week. I had to go to the dentist. But there is a direct correlation between healthy gums and teeth and a healthy heart. Is Brother Mark here this morning? The, the den Dr. Mark wanted me to mention that specifically this morning. And this, no, I'm kidding. He had nothing to do with that. But keep your teeth healthy and your gums healthy. It may lead to a healthy heart. It may actually save your life. Fact number four is this. When it comes to the heart, bigger is not always better. In fact, many times, you know, we hear on the news uh, of some major athlete that was maybe running down the court or running up the field or whatever, and they just fell over and die suddenly and oftentimes the majority of the times it is because of an enlarged heart muscle so and when it comes to the heart you know some people say oh he has a big heart well you better hope not gotta have an amen uh, because bigger is not always better and then fun fact number five is this your feet can be a sign of heart problems. Your feet can, believe it or not. One of the symptoms that our hearts are beginning to fail is the fact that our bodies begin to retain fluid, which in turn causes our feet and legs to swell. So if you wake up in the morning and your shoes don't fit, I'm just saying, you might ought to go to the doctor. Facts about the human heart. Well, I've told you in every one of these messages that the heart 
the word hard or some form of it is mentioned 958 times throughout the word of God. That one fact alone assures me that God cares and is very interested about our hearts. I think the Lord is interested in our hearts physically. I think God wants us to have a physically healthy heart, but I think he's more interested in our hearts spiritually. And I say again, if we'd get our hearts in better spiritual condition, it would probably help our hearts physically as well. And we're thinking along the lines of what God has to say about the heart throughout the Word of God. Now, we started several weeks ago. In fact, I think this is message number eight or nine in this series. But we started several weeks ago, and we started talking about this. We started talking, number one, about a new heart. And by the way, that's where it all begins with God, when God gives you a new heart. And we looked at that Ezekiel passage where God said, I'm going to take away that old stony hard heart out of you. I'm going to place a new heart within you. And God said, I'm going to put my spirit in you. Now, of course, putting our New Testament glasses on, that's exactly what happens when a person gets saved by the grace of God. God takes away that old hard, callous, stony, sinful heart, and he removes that out of us in a moment's notice, and he puts within us a brand new heart. And then he puts his spirit in us as well that helps us to be able to live victoriously and effectively for God. God wants you to have a new heart. If you're here this morning, you've never been saved. Good news, good news. God wants to give you a new heart today. But then we looked, number two, at not only a new heart, but then we looked at a turned heart. That's exactly what the Bible said about old Solomon. He had all those wives, 700 wives, 300 concubines, oh, I want to tell you, and those women turned his heart away from the Lord. Isn't it sad that there exists a possibility that after we get saved that our hearts can be turned from the Lord. I wonder who sits right here in this service this morning and you used to be on fire for God and you used to live for God but through the process of time you became distracted and your heart became turned from the Lord. Good news for you this morning. You're in a good place to get it right again. Amen. A new heart and then a turned heart. And then we looked at this kind of a heart. We looked at a soft heart. In fact, that's what Job said. Job's explanation for all the misery that he went through was that Job 23 verse when he said, God maketh my heart soft. Boy, I tell you what, God wants you and I to have a soft and a tender heart. And then we looked at this kind of heart. We looked at a kept heart. The Bible said to keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. Buddy, if you don't keep your heart, if you don't watch your heart, if you don't build some garrisons using the word of God and prayer and faithfulness to the house of God, if you don't build some fences around your heart, I'm here to tell you there will be tragedy waiting you in this walk of life. A kept heart. One of the greatest things we can do in these last days is to keep our heart with all diligence. And then we looked at this, a stolen heart. What about that? Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Isn't that a sight that a person's heart can be stolen away? And we preached about a stolen heart. A couple of weeks ago we looked at this one, a troubled heart. Hannity didn't say this. Jesus said it, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. He went a little bit later in that same John 14 chapter and said, my peace give unto you, my peace I give to 
you, not as the world giveth, give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. Two times in that one chapter, Jesus said you don't have to have a troubled heart. Isn't that good news for these, with all that's going on in our world politically and, and uh, uh, morally in our world? Aren't you glad? God's people, we don't have to be upset about it. We don't have to have a troubled heart. You know why? We believed in God. We've trusted in God. We can trust in Jesus. Amen and amen. And then last week I preached on this one, a fixed heart. Now when I talked about a fixed heart, you know normally we use the word fixed and we think along the lines of something that's tore up, that has to be mended or, or, or corrected. But I, we, we discovered last week that the word fixed doesn't mean to repair or to mend, but it just simply means to establish or determine. And the psalmist said twice, he doubled down on it in Psalms 57. He said, oh God, my heart is fit. And he said it twice in the same verse. In our terminology, he would say, man, I just want to tell y'all something. I'm not going anywhere. My heart's fixed. My heart's determined. My heart's established. Look at me. If there's one thing we need in these last days, it's for some of God's people to make up their mind. I'm not going anywhere. My heart is fixed. It is, it is established. It shall not be moved. But now this morning, I want to throw another one at you. So this morning, I want to preach on that thought. A moved heart. A moved heart. Can I say that I believe this morning that God wants to move our hearts in his direction? Don't you believe that? In these days, God wants to do that to every heart of every person in this room today. God wants every saved person's heart to be moved toward him. And God wants every unsaved person's heart to be moved toward him this morning. Now, I want to stop the sermon this morning. I want to read to you what the Bible has to say about a moved heart. All right? Join me now in Isaiah chapter 7, verse number 1. Here's what we read. And it came to pass in the days of Ahaz the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Razan, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, went up toward Jerusalem to war against it, but could not prevail against it. And it was told the house of David, saying, Syria is confederate with Ephraim, and his heart was moved, and the heart of his people, as the trees of the wood are moved, with the wind, a moved heart. Now we read in our text this morning about a king, a king over Judah by the name of Ahaz. The country that he reigned over was the country of Judah. We know that after the death of Solomon, the nation split. There was a northern kingdom, many times referred to as Ephraim in the Bible. And then the southern kingdom referred to as Judah. Well, Ahaz was the king over Judah. And the Bible said because of what was happening, what was going on about them, that the heart of King Ahaz was moved. And the heart of his people was moved uh, as the trees of the field are moved by the wind. Now, boy, I've got vivid illustrations of that with all these storms that has come through recently. And just right here in this, this area right here, northern part of Forsyth County, the trees that have been blown over and the people that have gone without power in recent days because of the, the trees being moved by the winds of these storms. And the Bible said that's exactly what happened in our text this morning, that their hearts were moved just like the trees are moved by the winds of, the, of, of, of a great storm. And 
the word of God said that they were moved. Their hearts became moved. And I want to talk a little bit this morning about what's it going to take to move our hearts. What is it going to take to move our hearts? I want to deal, firstly, with this text this morning. And then as I close the message in just a few minutes, I want to ask you the question, what's it going to take? to move our hearts. First of all, let's look at the text this morning. Let's talk a little bit about what was going on in this text. So I want to talk, number one, about number one, the darkness of the scene. The darkness of this scene. Now here's what happened in this text. There was a king of Judah. His name was Ahaz. Now before I go any further, I've got to stop and tell you that Ahaz was a wicked king. You know, Judah had some good kings every once in a while. The northern kingdom never had one good king. But uh, Judah actually had some good kings occasionally. But Ahaz, tragically, was not one of those good kings. He was a very wicked man. He was a very evil king over Judah. But let me tell you this. He actually had a good grandpa. His grandpa's name was Uzziah. Uzziah was a good king who reigned over Judah. In fact, here's what we read about Uzziah in the Bible. Uh, the Bible said of Uzziah, he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah did. So Uzziah was a good king. And the Bible said of old Uzziah that he was marvelously helped by the Lord. He did so good. He was so good a man, righteous. He sought the Lord. And the Bible said that God marvelously helped Uzziah. I'm talking about the grandpa of Ahaz. But then Uzziah had a boy. Uzziah's boy was named Jotham. So uh, that would be Ahaz's daddy. And Jotham also was a good man, a king because we read this about Jotham. The Bible said that he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father Uzziah did. So we've got two good kings. We've got a grandpa, Uzziah, a good man. We've got a daddy, uh, jo uh, Ahaz, uh, Jotham, who was a good man. But then they have a son. Jotham has a son by the name uh, uh, in our text here. Uh, Ahaz has a son. Of, by the name of Jotham in our text here. Am I going to get this right or not? Am I confused? Are y'all confused with me? How many of y'all confused about this? Why don't we just shut our Bible? Jotham, the Bible said, had a son by the name of Ahaz. And Ahaz was everything that his grandpa and his daddy was not. In fact, can I tell you what the Bible said about old, this, this old king uh, by the name of Ahaz? Here's what the Bible said. He walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. Now, that's bad right there. That's already bad. That'd be like saying he walked in the ways of Joe Biden. I mean, we're already in trouble now because he's following not, not the good kings. He's following the bad kings. For he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel and made also molten images for Balaam. So now he's setting up false god worship. The next verse talks about this. He burnt incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom and burnt his children in the fire after the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord had cast out before the children. Hold it, time out. Let me get this straight. Not only did he not serve the Lord, he's more like the north than he is the south. Not only did he offer up incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom, am I reading this right, that he actually took his own children and offered them up as a sacrifice to these false gods? Can you believe that a boy with such a godly grandpa and a godly daddy would turn out to be a character like this? 
furthermore, we read this later on in that same chapter. He gathered together the vessels of the house of God, cut in pieces the vessels of the house of God, and shut up the doors of the house of the Lord. Here's a boy that had been raised. Here's a church kid, for crying out loud, that's been raised up around the things of God. He's been raised up to know the Lord, to walk in the ways of God, to go to the house of God, and yet when he becomes of age, he becomes the poster child for rebellion and wickedness. How sad, but how many times have you and I seen a kid that's been raised up in the house of God with godly grandparents and godly parents, and then when they become of age, they turn right around, throw all that away, and go out and live their life in great wickedness and sin. That's the story of this king by the name of Ahaz. Had no use for the house of God. Had no use for the living and true God. Didn't want anything to do. Even took his children and offered them up as sacrifices in the valley of the Son of Hinnom to these false gods. By the way, aren't you glad we have a God who gave us his son instead of requires of us our sons? Can I have an amen? I'm so glad this morning that I can preach unto you a God that so loved us. I don't have to try to appease him by taking my son out and offering him up as a sacrifice in some valley somewhere. I'm glad I serve a God who loved me so much that he offered his son up in my behalf, his son by the name of Jesus. So here we go now. Ahaz is now king, but they're in trouble. They are in a mess. For the Bible tells us that in this text that there are two kings, the king of the northern kingdom and has joined in a confederacy with the king of Syria and they have come down now with the intentions of, of uh, invading Judah and, uh, and doing away with Ahaz and setting up their own king and enslaving the people of God. So here's what they've done. They've gathered all their armies together. They've came down and they've invaded the land. They've surrounded the city of Jerusalem and Judah. And all of these men and all these soldiers with all of this military machinery have moved down into the land of Judah. The attack is imminent. Oh, man, you can, you can just feel the tension in the air. You just know at any moment the stones and the arrows are going to start raining down. And the Word of God said that when the king of Judah, Ahaz, and all of his people saw what was happening, that the their hearts were moved like the trees are moved by the great winds. Oh, it was a very dark day, a desperate day for Ahaz and for Judah. They're outmanned, they're outgunned, they're outnumbered. It's curtains, man. There's no way that they can overcome this great enemy, the darkness of the scene. But now I want you to join me now in verse number three, verse number two. And let me talk a little bit not only about the darkness of the scene, but I want to talk a little bit about the declaration of the servant. Because it's about this time when all this happened, according to verse number two, their hearts have been moved. Oh, it's pitiful. Their hearts have been moved by the situation that God had a prophet to go up there and give them a good word from God. But aren't you glad God's got his preachers today all across America? who are standing up in this very dark scene that we're living in today, in a world that is chaotic, in a world that has lost its way, in a country that has lost its moral compass. Aren't you glad there's some, still some men of God who will stand up and say, okay, look this way. In the midst of this chaos, God has got a word for us. Aren't you glad God's got a word for us this morning? And here it is, look at verse 3. The Lord said unto Isaiah, Isaiah's God's man. And he said, I want you to go forth now to meet Ahaz. 
He said, I want you to take your boy, old Shear Jashub. Boy, how would you like to have a name like that? Come here, Shear Jashub. Boy, you talking about going to school, getting beat up. That'd be worse than being named Sue. He said, hey, he said Isaiah, get your boy, and y'all go meet Ahaz. I got a word for him. And then if you'll look there beginning in verse 4 and going all the way down through verse number 8 and following, God had a word for King Ahaz. And by the way, did you notice there in verse 4, let me read verse 3, Then said the Lord unto Isaiah, Go forth now to Ahaz, thou and thy son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool, and the highway of the fuller's field, and say unto him, Take heed, be quiet, fear not, neither be... What's the next word? Oh, there's another condition of the heart, isn't it? Not only a moved heart, but a faint heart. And these people are fearful. Their hearts have been moved. God said, preacher, go down there and tell them, I got a word for them. And what was that word? Well, verse number four, don't be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. You, you can be quiet, fear not. You don't have to be faint-hearted because God goes on down in this text and said, look, I got this situation under control. You don't have to sweat it because I'm in control. And then he said this on down in verse number seven. On down there he said, excuse my English, this is in the southern, southern Hebrew. God said this, it ain't going to happen. Verse seven, you read it there. God said it, it, it'll never come to pass. It's not going to stand. It's not going to happen. In fact, down in verse number 8, God said this, the whole outfit is going to be broken. Then again in verse number 8, God says to Ahaz through the preacher, in just a few years, these people that invaded the land, they're not going to even be a people anymore. In just a few years, you just mark my word at what I'm telling you, King Ahaz. Now wait a minute. Look at me. They didn't deserve this. They didn't deserve this good word from God. I mean, for crying out loud, they've turned their hearts away from the Lord. I mean, they've, they've started worshiping false gods. He set these images of Balaam up. They're rolling their children up in these heated arms of these brazen images and sacrificing them. They're burning incense to these false gods. To me, this is one of the most amazing declarations in all the Word of God that God would step into this situation for a people who did not deserve it and do something for them that they did not deserve. Let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. They didn't deserve any of this. Shut up the house of God. Had no room, no time in their life for the house of God. And yet here is God so graciously, so mercifully stepping into this situation. Is not God an amazing God? I mean, even when we don't deserve it. I mean, to have pity upon a, a people that deserve no pity. To have mercy on a people that deserve no mercy. To have grace upon a people that deserve no grace. To be kind and good to people who deserve no kindness or no goodness. Yet, that's our God. Hey, can I stop and say this this morning? Should we not just take a time out every once in a while and say, Lord, thank you for having pity upon me when I deserve no pity. And thank you for having mercy upon me when I deserve no mercy. And thank you for having grace and kindness upon me when I deserve no grace and no kindness. Aren't you glad that we serve a God that doesn't give us what we deserve, but he's a God who deals with us in goodness and mercy and grace and patience and long-suffering. I'm glad I got a God like that this morning. Hey, Ahaz, it looks bad. 
I know you can't whoop this crowd, but don't worry about it. You don't have to. I'm going to take care of the whole situation. The darkness of the scene, listen to me now, the darkness of the scene, the declaration of the servant. But I want you to drop down to verse number 9 now. And I want you to see the decision of the Shah. I couldn't find a good S word. I thought about Sheik. But what about Shah? The decision of the Shah. You see in verse number 9, the message continues and said, The, the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Remaliah's son. And then he says this to King Ahaz, If you will not believe, surely ye shall not be established. Now watch this. God is saying, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take care of this whole situation. I know your heart is moved. I know you're fearful. I know you're swaying like in a great wind. Your heart is so moved by all this that's happening that God said, I'm going to handle all of this. Watch this now. If you believe me. If you trust me. If you put your faith in me. You've got a decision now Ahaz to make. This decision is up to you. I'm going to handle this whole situation if you trust me. By the way, a little bit later in this chapter, Ahaz didn't trust the Lord. Ahaz sent to hire another confederacy. He, he wanted to bring another nation in and try to fight the whole battle here himself. And guess what happened? Man, they got tore all to pieces. But God gave him a choice. You trust me. Listen, you trust me, I'll handle this. You believe me, I'll do good things for you. You don't deserve it? No, sir. But if you'll just put your faith in me, I'll handle the whole situation. You know, I got to thinking, that's what God says to us today. Is it not? If you're here this morning and you're not saved, you know what God said? If you'll just trust me. If you'll just believe in me. If you'll just believe on me and put your faith and your trust in me, guess what? I'll take you to heaven when life is over. And then he says to us that are saved, God says to us that are saved, listen, if you'll just trust me, I'll do good things for you. If you'll just believe me, I'll take care of your problems. If you'll just believe me, I'll take care of the needs that you have in life. All you got to do is just trust me. And how many of us, just like Ahaz, want to run out and try to fix our own problems instead of trusting the Lord? Can I have an amen? So their hearts were moved. Now I'm done. What's it going to take to move our hearts? In these last days, God's people, and I know COVID and the pandemic, I get all that. But boy, our hearts have become almost to the place they're no longer moved by the things of God. And we have a good church, and I thank the Lord for that. And you know, occasionally we'll have them good services, and I thank the Lord for that. But can I just stop and say, man... Our hearts have got hard through all of this. I mean, there's nothing that amazes us anymore. It's just a daily thing. Turn the TV on and somebody 15, 20, 25, 50 people has been killed. We sit back and watch that. And, <sighs> doesn't bother us anymore. Our hearts are no longer moved. I, I, I put down three things that ought to move our heart. Number one, I put this down. The corruption of the land, of our land, Amen. ought to move our hearts. The, the, what's going on in America ought to move the hearts of God's people. The corruption that's going on. You, it was bad in Ahaz's day. Uh, uh, man, they had their gods, plural, set up. 
Their children were being offered up as innocent sacrifices to these false gods. Boy, sounds a whole lot like America. Abortion, America, gods. I mean, in America anymore, you know, you can mention God and nobody gets upset until you mention the God, the one that has a son by the name of Jesus, and then everybody's nose gets out of joint. Oh, yeah, you can talk about God. We're fine with it. You can pray to God. Just don't identify to the one that you're praying to by mentioning his boy's name, Jesus. And people get upset about that. Oh, you can pray, but we don't want none of that Jesus stuff. God help. The only way we can get hold of God is through Jesus. Can I have an amen? The only way to get our prayers answered is to pray in Jesus' name. So if you're asking me just to say, God, are you kidding me? I'm glad I can say God. He's my God. But I know him because of his son, Jesus. And I approach him through the merits and the goodness and the grace of the name of his son, Jesus. The only way to come to God. I mean, the corruption of our land today. Listen to this. Since, since the beginning of Roe versus Wade, Listen to this. And this is the latest statistics I can find out. But since the beginning of Roe versus Wade till May the 4th of 2022, so just a couple of months ago, 63,459,781 abortions have taken place in America. And then the court overthrows that. And the liberals and the, the uh, uh, can I just say it, that's too good a word. Can I just say the ungodly of our country threatened to burn the nation down, threatened to kill the Supreme Court justices, threatened to, uh, threatened to march and ride and fill the streets with innocent blood. And it's almost like we're supposed to sit in here and even though we prayed about it and sought God's face about it and asked the Lord to do something about it, when the, when the court overthrew it, this other crowd got so angry, it's almost like we went in our churches and hibernated and said, shh, don't say anything about it. We don't want to make them any madder than they already are. Wait a minute. Who's mad over the uh, uh, 63,459,000? Who's mad about the babies that have been aborted? The corruption of our land. Listen to this. Last year in America, 21,000 people were shot dead in the streets of America. Last year in America, there were 108,000 overdose drug deaths in America. Last year in America, 4,500 churches closed their doors. Last year in America, there were 46,000 suicides, not counting the 1.2 that tried to commit suicide. Last year in America, there are too many people sitting in prison this morning. In our nation, 2 million people incarcerated. That's more than 25% in the entire world. And Guess what? We only got 5% of the population of the whole world. I'm telling you, we got problems in America. Wait a minute. Why doesn't it move our hearts? There's no hope. We look at Washington and there's no hope. I'm telling you, the hope of America is not in the White House. The hope of America is in God's house. But we're going to have to get a moved heart before God's going to move again. Uh, the corruption of our land ought to move our hearts. The homosexuals, the lesbians in America, they throw a fit and they cram it down our throats. 
You can't even watch a television commercial without two men kissing or two women kissing anymore in America. Hey, when are we going to get moved enough that we find our way to the altar again and say, oh God, we see what's happening. Our hearts are moved like the trees of the field are moved by the great wind. I'm telling you, if God's going to move, God's people's hearts are going to have to get moved again. It's one thing to stand up here and preach about it, talk about it, and you sit there and say amen about it. But when's the last time your heart got moved and you wept over it and you cried out to God about it? I'm here to tell you, we ought to be moved because of the corruption of our land. And if you're mad at me and you don't ever want to come back again, God bless you, we got you this morning. The corruption of the land, number two, this ought to move our hearts, the coming of the Lord. If you look in this text, when I said Isaiah 7, if you're familiar with the Bible, probably the first thing that popped in your mind, Christmas? Because Isaiah 7, verse 14, one of the greatest Christmas prophecies that we preach from almost every Christmas season, we mention it at least about the coming of the Lord. So what happened was, the prophet said, God told the prophet, said, ask Ahaz if he wants a sign that I'm going to do all this. And Ahaz, in verse number, is it verse number uh, 11? Ahaz said, I don't need a sign. Because he's already made up his mind. He's going to seek another nation. He don't want the Lord. I don't need a sign. So God said, okay, just shut up then. I'm going to give you a sign on my own. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now that's the first coming. You and I are waiting the second coming. We know he's coming. Man, we talk about it. We sing about it. What a day that will be. Glorious day. We talk about it. We sing about it. I make statements all the time. I, I, I wish he would come now. I don't have to go by the house and pick up a thing. Get all that. But when is it going to move our heart? Man, I'm telling you, it's getting ready to happen. And a lot of God people say, hey, 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 hey. Doesn't move us anymore. Doesn't move us anymore. The coming of the Lord, the corruption of the land. Here's a third thing I ought to move our heart the condition of the lost. And I'll just close by just asking you one question, and the question is this When's the last time you wept over a soul? I say this a lot, and I've got to go. We've got to go, and I know it. I say it a lot, but I'm going to say it one more time. The church of the last days were full of technology. Man, I can pre I may be preaching around the world this morning. I got on the thing the other day. There's a guy over in North Korea, or South Korea, probably not North, but South Korea that watches our services regularly and comments on stuff, on the whatever they call that thing there. And, uh, and we, I could be, we got technology to reach the whole This service is literally going, could be going live into the whole world. We got technology. But where's the tears? We're full of technology, but we're empty of tears. Oh, brother, we need to get our hearts moved again. We need for God to shake us again. I don't want God to have to bring Russia or China. I don't want God to have to rain down nukes on us to get our hearts moved again. I don't want God to have to bring some impending invasion into the coast of our nation to move our hearts to get us to call on God. Hey, why don't we just do it anyway? Because of the corruption and the coming and the condition of those that are lost. When's the last time we wept over souls?
a moved heart. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, I pray this morning.